How many of you have ever flown on a commercial airplane before? Let me see your hands. Pretty amazing, right? Most of you have. Uh, you know that moment when you sit on the runway and they fire up the engines and they let off the brakes and you just kind of push back in your seat? Well, uh, that's, that's my favorite part of the whole flight. I love that. I love feeling that power. And I won't say the name, uh, but there are, are two brothers who I got to uh, fly with for the very first time. They are uh, different times. Neither one of them had ever flown before. And both of them were overseas flights. And I remember the one, not in this room, but the other brother, um, we were flying and, and we took off and I looked over and he was gripping the armrest like this and he was kind of doing this. And then we hit some turbulence and I kind of looked over and he gave me the, the deadliest stare you've ever seen. He was just glaring at me because I ended up getting him on that airplane. And he said, if we go down, I'm killing you. I'm like, if we don't die, I'm killing you, you know, and it was kind of fun. But how many of you know a plane is nothing without the engines, right? You can have great fuselage, you can have the wings, you can have the ailerons and all the different stuff. But if you don't have the power to get you in the air, where are you going to go? Nowhere. Uh, we flew back Saturday, and um, we loaded the plane. We were all sitting there. Everyone buckled up, and then they came on and said, well, we're all here. We're ready to go. We're just waiting on a pilot. <laughs> and the cockpit was empty. I was like, well, you kind of need that, right? Um, you need someone to direct that power. Well, we've been talking about uh, our church. We're in the middle of a series called Love My Church, and we've been talking about the values. What is it that makes us us? What do we believe as a church, as a, a fellowship? What do we believe? What is it that makes us do the things that we do? What guides us? And so we've talked about our, our purpose and our values. And if you missed that, and if you're curious, you can go to our website, lexig.org. The sermons are all there. Uh, you can go on our app. Uh, there's directions in the bulletin. Download that app. They're all there. We've talked about our values, and, and our, the reason we're here is to give opportunities for people to encounter Christ and experience life change. That's why we're here. And then we started talking about the things that were important to us as a church family. We talked about missions. We talked about generosity, right? We talked about our foundation in the Bible and God's Word. Well, today we're going to talk about being Spirit-empowered. One of the things that we believe as a church, that we value as a church, is being Spirit-empowered. Now, if you're anything like me, I grew up uh, in and out of different churches when I was a kid. We, we didn't really attend faithfully. Uh, but when I went as a kid, I went to my parents, grandparents' church in the country, and that church shaped me and molded me and poured into me. Um, and I loved it. And then when my parents divorced, we went to another church, and it was a Pentecostal church. I'd never been in a Pentecostal church before. And I went for the first time, and I saw somebody speak in tongues. I said, I don't ever want to hear that again. I, I didn't enjoy that at all. It scared me to death. Because I'd never heard anybody talk about that. I was like, what is going on? These people are crazy. Why did you drag me here? Uh, and then I went to the youth group and, and people kind of explained it. And then it made sense. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be empowered by the Spirit. And how many of you know it doesn't have to be weird? Okay, two of you. For the rest of you, you don't have to be weird to be empowered by the Spirit, right? Now, through the years, there have been some abuse of the baptism of the Spirit. Some people use it as an excuse to act weird. You don't have to. You can be totally normal. Um, and so we're going to talk about what that means and, and kind of look into that. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if you have your Bibles there. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So one of my very favorite TV shows is the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever watched that show. It's from the 60s. And it reminds me of home is why I like it, because that's where I grew up. <laughs> Southern Missouri, northern Arkansas area, you know, I'm like, hey, that's my family. Uh, I like it. But I remember one time watching one where they were flew on an airplane for the very first time, and they, were, they thought it was a bus. They got on the airplane, and they thought it was a bus. And so they take off, and 
uh, the grandfather leans over and he says, you know, if they get going faster, this thing's going to take off. This thing's got a lot of power. And they look out the window and say, well, don't look, but we're off the ground. You know, all that power got us in the air. Uh, and so being Christians, when we give our hearts to Jesus, I'm sorry I did this to you guys on the live stream again. They always put the verse up and then I talk. When you give your heart to Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. We see in the Gospels, Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So when you give your heart to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The Bible tells us we're temples of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about receiving the Holy Spirit as, as an, uh, an investment, an endowment, as a deposit of what's going to come. But then there's another experience later on that you can have that's totally voluntary, but we call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's when we receive what? Power. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, and he's talking to the disciples, and he was talking about the incoming. But then he says this in verse 8, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses. So you receive what? Power to do what? Be a witness, to tell people what has happened in your life. So he said, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus here tells us why we receive power. And so the disciples did just that. They went to an upper room and they prayed. And they spent time waiting on him. And then at one point in Acts chapter 2, it talks about how the Holy Spirit came in like a what? So it was like a rushing wind. There was a sound. And then there were flames of fire that came on them. Now, we don't see that very often anymore. Sometimes people do. Uh, but we don't always see that. But the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other languages. And then the very first thing they did was go outside and do what? Tell people what had happened. And thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus that day because of what they did. So we are a movement. The Assemblies of God were a cooperative fellowship. We're not a denomination. They actually had jackets at General Council you could buy. It said cooperative fellowship. I was going to buy one, but then I didn't want to have to explain it every time I wore it. So what a cooperative fellowship is, is we're a bunch of churches that believe the same thing. They work together. That's what we are. But we're a Pentecostal denomination. We believe that we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be what? Witnesses. There you go. To be witnesses. How many of you know you can talk to someone and you can counsel someone and you can pour into their life over and over, but God can do more in one moment by working in them than we can do in, in years? I've poured in, I've talked to people, I've talked to people, I've talked to people, I've tried to tell them about Jesus. And when they finally give in and allow Jesus to work in them, he can do more just like that than I can do forever. That's the power of the Spirit working. So we're just going to talk a bit about what this means. What does it mean to have the power? So let's talk a little bit here about understanding the baptism of the Spirit. What does that mean? What is the purpose of the baptism? Well, we just read in Acts chapter 1. The purpose is to receive what? Power to be a witness. That's it. It's to have power in our lives to tell others about Jesus, for him to empower us. And you know, here in America, we don't see this a whole lot. But if you go on a missions trip overseas somewhere or into the heart of, of a big city, you encounter spiritual opposition. And you need what? Power. You want to have the Holy Spirit working in you. And so we had a missionary come talk to us one time, and he was in South America in the jungles, and he was talking about some of the things they see, like witch doctors coming through and trying to put curses on them and do these things. He said, if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't even want to walk off the airplane. 
He said, because there's so much spiritual opposition everywhere. So it's to be used as a witness, to be used in spiritual gifts. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, that he does, that he works through us. Prophecies, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, messages in tongues and interpretations. We can be used in those things as we are used in the gifts. The power of gifts is supposed to be used as a witness in our daily lives. And you know what, guys? The power of the Holy Spirit is not just for church services. God wants to use us out there, right? Sometimes we get confused and we think, well, I want the Holy Spirit just so I can have an exciting church service. But God wants to do so much more with us and through us. He wants us to be witnesses at school. He wants us to be that person on the football team that's a good representation of Jesus. He wants to use us in the offices where we work to be that person who's what? A great representation of Jesus. It was fun. I was uh, reading on a website, uh, our next general counsel is going to be in Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. I was like, who goes to Ohio? Right? But, but it was kind of fun. I found a newspaper, a business journal article from Columbus talking about us coming there as the general counsel. And it was really kind of fun because they said they're going to bring about 30,000 people total and, and they're going to bring millions of dollars in, you know, staying in hotels and eating food because, you know, preachers eat a lot. And, but here's the thing they said in that article. They said not only are they going to be good economically, but they love to give back. They said these church groups love to give back to the community, so they're going to, we're going to gain a lot more than just money. This was a business article talking about Christians showing up and giving back, being what? Witnesses right? So we want to be witnesses. But there are some misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll tell you guys, when I first heard about the Holy Spirit, I didn't want anything to do with some of that stuff for a long, long time because I misunderstood it. I didn't really know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was. Some people think the power of the Spirit is to have an exciting church service. I remember I walked into a church one time and they were doing a Jericho march. You ever heard of this? They're walking in lines around the church going, woo! I was like, what are you doing? I had no clue. So I finally found somebody. What are, oh, they're doing a Jericho march. I'm like, didn't the walls of Jericho fall down? We don't want that to happen, right? And so I, I didn't understand that, right? So something it's, it's to simply to speak in tongues. That's not what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for at all. That's not the purpose. The purpose is what? Power to be witnesses. Now, speaking in tongues and praying in tongues is a great thing. Um, some people think it's just to be part of a Pentecostal club. Uh, but what's the purpose? Now, speaking in tongues is a big deal, right? What is the purpose of that? It's a prayer language. You guys, tongues is a prayer language. And we see it's, it's normative throughout the New Testament. People got baptized in the Holy Spirit. They prayed in other languages, other tongues. What is that? Paul tells us it's a prayer language. It's kind of like a direct line to the Lord because I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times I don't know what to pray. You ever been there? I have no idea. And so I just, I pray in the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit to pray with me. Because it talks about he, he prays and groans that we can't understand. But guys, there's so many times, so many people put so much emphasis on praying in tongues that they forget what the baptism of the Spirit is really for. To be a witness, to be an example, to tell others about Jesus. So what are some obstacles to receiving this baptism, this endowment of power is what we call it? What are some of the obstacles to this? Well, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 19, and I can't remember if I put it on the screen or not, but Acts chapter 19, there's some misunderstanding about what it was. Acts chapter 19, 
So Apollos was in Corinth in verse 1. And Paul traveled through the interior of the regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers, a group of Christians who were together. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. Well, no, they replied. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Then he asked, well, what baptism did you experience? And they said, well, the baptism of John. John the Baptist came through and baptized them. And they said, well, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other languages or other tongues, and they prophesied. There were about 12 in all. So some people, we just don't know. We don't know who the Holy Spirit is. We don't know what the Holy Spirit's about. So that's why we're kind of talking about this, because it's not something that's really talked about a lot. So there are three guys that were in a car wreck. They were friends. They were in a car wreck. They all died together, and they all went to heaven. Now, this is a story. This is not scripture, but this is a story. So they get to heaven. And so Peter's standing at the door and he says, before you can enter the kingdom, before you can get to heaven, you have to tell me what Easter is about. The first guy said, oh man, I got this. This is a holiday where they have a big feast and we give thanks and we eat turkey. And Peter said, uh, no, you're banished. And he left. So the second guy said, Easter is when we celebrate Jesus' birth and we give presents to each other. Peter said, nope, you're out. You're banished. And so then the third guy said, I know what Easter is. So they said, well, tell me. So, well, Easter is a Christian holiday that coincides with the Jewish festival of Passover. Jesus was having a Passover feast with his disciples, and he was betrayed by Judas, and then the Romans arrested him. They hung him on a cross, eventually died. Then they buried him in a tomb behind a very large boulder. Peter said, yes, you're getting it. And they said, now every year the Jews roll away the boulder, and Jesus comes out. When he sees the shadow, we have six more weeks of basketball. <laughs> Peter passed out. So, No. And guys, sometimes we're kind of like that. We just don't understand what God is doing. And so we don't understand all this. So sometimes there's an inadequate scriptural understanding. We just don't understand. An inadequate scriptural understanding. And then, guys, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I had a fear of the counterfeit. I was afraid when I prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that I would get something different, that I would get something wrong, that I would mess something up. Because I've been known to do that, right? Many of us have. I was, there's a fear of the counterfeit, but guys, God does not give fake gifts. God does not give fake gifts. We see in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, Jesus was talking to the disciples and said, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Sometimes. Not very often. If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give gifts to those who ask him? So guys, if you're really seeking Jesus, if you're really seeking after him and you say, Lord, I want power, I want to be a better witness, he wants to give you this gift. He wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's not going to give you something fake. And then there's this this idea that a specific pattern of receiving must be followed. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was 16. And there was this big thing, you know, we would have these youth rallies. You guys remember those? Sectional youth rallies. So we'd get all these youth groups together, and we'd have big services. And like every, every month, there was, if you want to be baptized, the Holy Spirit, come up and pray. And there were these well-meaning people that wanted to pray for you to, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't know if you had anything like me, but they would come up, and they would start shaking you, you know. And so like, you need to let go, and you need to talk, and you need to, you know. And it just terrified me. You know, because I had all these older folks surrounding me, and I was like, I have no idea what this means. And so I got alone with God, and I said, Lord, I don't want any of that. You know, because they would say, oh, you need to fall down. Oh, you need to raise your hands. You need to do this and that. And, 
And I said, I don't, I don't want anything fake. I just want you. And I'll tell you, I prayed for the baptism of the Spirit for a couple months on my own. And then one night, I was in my room, and God just filled me with His Spirit. And uh, I started praying in a, a language I didn't understand. And I, well, that's kind of cool. But it was just because I wanted Him. And so we need to seek Him, not always the gifts. Um, and then there's a fear of emotionalism without the continuing evidence of substance. Guys, many of us have been burned by people who say they're spiritual, that they love Jesus, but they don't show it by their actions, right? And so many of us say, well, I, I've known people who were Pentecostal and, and they were fake, and I don't want that. I, I know people who said that they gave messages in tongues in church or they prophesied, and, and I don't want that. Or there are people who want to come and say, I have a word for you, brother. <laughs> And it's a word from them, not a word from God. You ever experienced that? I have. And so a lot of times we say, I just, I don't want that. So I'm just going to stay away from this. But guys, if you just want to be closer to the Lord and you want that power to be a witness, God wants to give that to you. He wants to, this is something that you can seek. You can do it at church. You can seek it on your own. Uh, I had a, when I was in college, there was a, a pastor from another denomination and he was, he was coming to some revival services they were having at an AG church. And he said, you know, I want more. I want more of Jesus. And he was in the grocery store just kind of praying. You know, you ever do that? You just kind of walk along praying. And he was baptized in the Holy Spirit in the produce aisle of the grocery store. And he started praying in language. He said, I don't know what this is. And so he went to his Bible and started reading. He said, well, this makes sense. And he just, he wanted more of Jesus. So, so there's some principles. If you want to receive this gift, if you want to receive power, that he talks about here. And guys, we're going to pray later that if you want to receive it, you can. But I printed a, a bunch of notes. I gave you like a whole page of notes because I want you to read these passages and I want you to go home and study this. Uh, and I want you to understand what this is. So there's some principles. The first thing we have to understand is it's a gift, the gift principle. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's not something that I earn. It's not something that you earn. It's not, you know, when you give a certain amount of money to the Lord that you get it. Or, you know, if you've been a Christian long enough, you get it. Um, guys, there are people who give their hearts to Jesus and they're baptized in the Spirit at the exact same moment. There are others who pray for a long time and it comes later as they get things in their life kind of where they want them to be. But it's a gift. It's not something you can earn. It's not something I can earn. It's a gift. And it comes by faith, the faith principle. It's not something we totally understand. I don't understand everything about it. I go by faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the writer says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things that we cannot see. There's a lot of things about God I don't understand. And I probably never will until we get to heaven. It's like, oh, that makes total sense, right? But until then, we don't always get it. And then there's the sovereignty principle. We receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as God directs. And guys, I know I prayed for a long time before I got it. I know there are some of you here in this church probably who have prayed for the baptism of the Spirit for years and not received it. And I see other people that pray for a week and they receive it. God gives it when God directs. But here's the thing. God doesn't love you any less if it takes you longer to get it. God doesn't disapprove of you uh, because that Peter came and he was talking to some Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And Peter was talking to him and and they gave their hearts to Jesus, and they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit, just like that. And Peter said, I don't understand this at all. But he said this, I see very clearly that God shows no what? Favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what's right. And so 
if you have been praying for the baptism of the Spirit and you haven't received it, it doesn't mean God loves you less. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It means God gives it at his time. You know, I'll be honest, when I was a teenager and I was praying for the baptism of the Spirit and I didn't get it and I didn't get it, I always thought, man, what's wrong with me? Does God not like me? Does God not love me? Does God love this person more or this person more? And I started comparing myself with others. You know what that goes? Nowhere. And so God gives it as God directs. But here's the biggest thing, guys. What are the evidences of a spirit-filled life? Because this is what we're after, guys. We want people who are filled with the spirit, who are walking in the spirit, who are acting like Jesus. We want people who live a spirit-filled life. So when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the very first outward sign, physical sign, is speaking in tongues. And why do I say that? Because that's what we see all through the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, when the Spirit first came, everyone present was filled with the Spirit and began speaking in other languages or other tongues, some translations say, as the Holy Spirit, what? Gave them this ability. Guys, that's the first outward sign, but it's not the only sign. And I'll be honest, I think sometimes we focus so much on that first sign, we forget all the others. In Acts 19.6, this is when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other languages and prophesied. So the first outward sign is speaking in tongues, but the fruit of the Spirit is a continuing evidence. The fruit of the Spirit is a continuing evidence. And here's what I'm going to say, and I know I might make some people mad, but I think if we're not showing the fruit of the Spirit in our everyday lives, we have no business trying to be used in other spiritual gifts. If you're a jerk, <laughs> don't go say, hey, I've got a word from God for you. <laughs> because they're going to say, I can't see anything past you being a jerk to me, right? So we need to make sure that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our life. And what, so what is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, let me tell you. The first one is love. This is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 24. He says, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. The two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. When you're directed by the Holy Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Those who do those things belong to Jesus, and they've nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So these are the things that come out of our lives, and those sound pretty good, don't they? We all want more love in our lives, more joy, more peace, more patience. That's the kind of stuff that comes out of us through us when we're being spirit-led, when we're living spirit-filled lives, when we every day just say, Jesus, I want more of you. This is the kind of stuff that comes out. We had a rodeo chaplain that used to live down near us in Colorado. I can't remember his name. Um, he passed away a couple years ago. But he was like an incredible speaker and he would go to rodeos and talk to cowboys. And you know, talk to cowboys, you have to be pretty plain, right? Cowboys are just, tell me what it is. So he said this, you ever seen a rain barrel that's plumb full of water? And I said, well, yeah. 
You say, what happens when you bump that barrel if it's plumb full? And plumb full means full to the top. It's Nebraska language. Everybody knows that, right? I said, well, water sloshes out. I said, right. I said, when you're plumb full of Jesus and somebody bumps into you, what happens? I said, uh, Jesus kind of sloshes out. He said, yeah, that's the fruit of the Spirit right there. The best explanation I've ever heard. Paid $40,000 to go to college. I could have just talked to this guy, and he would have told me all that, right? So when we're full of Jesus and people bump us, people run into us, people come against us, Jesus comes out. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So what Paul talks about here in the fruit of the Spirit is love. And I put definitions down that I got from a commentary there. Love, even though there's nothing in it for you, the kind of love that said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Joy. Joy, this means being filled with joy even when every circumstance says you should be filled with sorrow. That's the kind of joy that Jesus gives. Joy is not in circumstances. Joy is in knowing that he's with us. That comes from being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. Peace means to be at rest even when everything around you is restless. Patience, to continue on even when all indications are that you should give up. You know what takes patience? People. (laughs) If you're working with people, trying to lead people towards Jesus, it takes a lot of patience. And I learned if you pray for patience, (laughs) God's going to put people in your life that need patience. So some of you are saying, I need to quit praying for that. All right. But it grows our patience. Gentleness. Goodness and uprightness, to do right in attitude and action, even though there's absolutely no outward support or reason to do so. Faith, to believe even when not having seen, to trust even when not having touched, to go on believing when it doesn't make sense to do so. Meekness or kindness, to lay down and to lie your life down and be kind even when there is no encouragement whatsoever to be kind. To smile back even when you're spit upon. I love that definition. That's the kindness that comes from Jesus. Temperance or self-control to stay in the middle of the road when every force of abuse is trying to push you off. I love that. To stay in the middle of the road even when every force of abuse is trying to pull you off. That's what the Spirit gives. And that comes from following Jesus, right? That comes from being filled with the Spirit, just saying, Lord, I want more of you. And we need that power because I don't know about you, I can't do this stuff on my own. Do you know what my natural indication is? My natural inclination? It's to not love. It's to be selfish, right? It's not to be patient. It's to fly off the handle and yell at people. But when Jesus is in our lives, he produces that in us. So what is the process of a spirit-filled life? Well, we do our best to live a holy life, to keep in step with the Spirit, like Paul said in Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We do our best to be used in spiritual gifts that come, we see in 1 Corinthians 12, to do our best to be used in our daily life, to be used in spiritual gifts. That just means if you're walking through the store and you feel that nudge, hey, go talk to that person. What do we do? We go talk to that person. That's being led by the Spirit. If God wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, pray for this person, that's being led by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit, and we do our best to be continually filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 17 says, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And actually, when you read those verses, be filled with the Spirit, it's a continual thing. Be being filled. Be filled all the time. 
So I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come up. And I know for some of you, this is probably the first time you've ever heard of this. They may be saying, I don't, I, don't, I don't know about that. My encouragement is to go home, read those passages, pray about it. You know, for years and years, there was no evidence of people being filled with the baptism of the Spirit in the 1800s. In the early 1900s, some people started reading the book of Acts, and they said, well, I, I want that. I want that kind of power. I want that in my life. And they just started praying for it. And you know what happened? God filled them. And that's where our movement actually came out of. There was a revival in a little warehouse on Azusa Street in Los Angeles in the early 1900s. And people started being filled with the Spirit. And more people kept coming because those people are going out and being what? Witnesses. And they're bringing more people to Jesus. And that's kind of where this whole thing started. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you're physically able this morning. And if you're willing, would you stand?